0: because I don't know how. Don't know how. You could learn. That's my little brother there who said that I could learn. Anybody want to (laughs) preach? You could learn. (laughs) Oh, my. Wait, last week... Last week, uh, if if you'll take a, a step back in time with me, last week we talked about forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness. And I told you how when we're living out what it means to be part of God's kingdom, there is no room for thinking like this. I don't get mad, I get even. There's no room for that in God's kingdom. Okay, that's not cute. And that's not just how I am. That's sin, okay? There is no room for holding grudges. There is no room for ongoing feuds. There is no room for violence and retribution. We talked about that last week. Kind of part one of a two-part series on forgiveness. What's it been like for you this week? Since that time? Since you left here? As you went back out into the life that you've been living? What's it been like? Have you run into anyone who lives by that mantra, I don't get mad, I get even. Have you run into anyone who practices and maybe even celebrates holding grudges? Have you found yourself in the middle of any feuds? Have you found yourself the victim of any violence or retribution? Have you felt your own heart tempted towards any of those things? What's it been like for you? as you figure your way through this life, as we are called to live by God's standards and not by our own standards or even the standards of all the crazies out there, what's it been like as you're trying to navigate this life to which you've been called? Have you seen any lack of forgiveness in your part of the world? I have just this week. Just this week. And some of the areas where I saw it were little, petty, small areas. And some of the places I saw it were big and difficult and painful areas. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us to navigate around people who are angry and unforgiving. And it's a struggle for us to deal with our anger in such a way that we ourselves don't become unforgiving. But our job is to hold close to God. To to live out the life by the standard that God, our King, calls us to. In God's kingdom, we're drawn back to standards like what Robert read from Romans 12 for devotions this morning. Love that passage. It says in Romans 12, 9 that love must be sincere. Not fake, not false, not surface. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's one of those little problems that comes along with unforgiveness, doesn't it? so many times when we don't want to forgive someone it's because we're not willing to honor them. We may say, well, they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. No, you don't either. We're all sinners. We're all a mess, except by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But you heard what Robert said, right? I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it at the risk of being, well, at the risk of being repetitive. It's not a risk. It's an actuality. But, but let's make sure we hear this together. Love must be sincere. Romans 12, 11 says we're not supposed to be lacking in zeal, but keeping our spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14 of Romans 12, it goes along with all that other stuff that we love and that we nod our heads to. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. You may have something to say about the young man who shows up at your house with a political flag flying in the back of his truck. Bless those who persecute you. And do not curse. Rejoice those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Romans 12.16 says that we should be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't you want that kind of life? Don't you want that kind of life that is loving and full of zeal for the Lord and joyful and patient and faithful, sharing, hospitable, rejoicing, comforting, in harmony and humble? Don't you want that? I mean, aren't you hungry for the people around you to live that way? This is what we want. We see it in Scripture and we can say, yes, this is good. But what do you see? What do you live? What is your actuality? Can we acknowledge the difficulty of finding this kind of life? It's hard to find. It's hard to live. How do we get there? Well, our love must be sincere. There's more instruction about how to love sincerely in the book of 1 John. I'd like to look with you First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Now, if you're a little bit newer to your Bibles, this could be confusing because there's, there's one of the books of the Bible that's just called John. That's the Gospel of John. Read it sometimes. Fantastic. It's about the life of Jesus. But later on, near the very back of your Bible, there are three short letters that were written by a fellow named John, and we just call them 1 John, Second John, Third John. Or in your Bible, it might look like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. But in the back, there's this 1 John. Talks a lot about love in here. And in in verses 11 to 18, I'm going to read for you this chunk, and then we'll go back and break it down one by one. But you can follow along either on the screen or with whatever device or book or Bible you might have with you. But this is the Word of God in 1 John 3. It says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's the word of God from 1 John 3, verses 11 to 18. Just Let's look at this and just kind of recap verse by verse, though, because there's a lot of stuff in here. You see, verse 11, John is speaking to these brothers and sisters. He says, the message you've heard from the beginning, that is, from the time that you started hearing about Jesus, the message was we should love one another. How many of you have ever been told to love someone? Love your brother, love your sister, love your parents, love your family, love your enemies. We've all been told to love, right? Well, these people, John's writing to people who've been told that, too. You should love one another. And then he goes on on this little bunny trail about Cain and Abel. And if you'd like to read about them, go to the book of Genesis. That's in the very beginning of your Bible. You can read about how Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, did not gel very well. And here John says that Cain murdered his brother Abel because his own actions, Cain's actions, were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Cain was jealous and he lashed out. Oh, we could, and maybe we'll have to do a, sermon, a series of sermons about that. But then John comes back in verse 13. He says, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters. I've called you to love. You know you're supposed to love. But don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. In other words, your love may not be reciprocated. John tells us we should probably even expect that even when we live lives of love, we're going to be hated. Now, I will tell you, my experience has been that in all the relationships of my life, it has been so much easier to love the people who I know are going to love me. And, and in fact, the easiest way to love it is to love the people who are already loving me. Any of you love your grandmother? It, for those of you who have a good grandmother, it's so easy to love her. Why? Because she loves you so well. Right? Grandparents are supposed to be that way. I know not all of them are, and so I apologize if I've kind of left you out of that illustration but if, you, if you've got grandparents or, or parents or if you've got siblings or a spouse or you've got kids who really love you, isn't it so joyful and fun most of the time to love them back? What's John saying here though? He says, we're supposed to love each other and we should expect that the world will hate us. Why? Verse 14, we have passed from death to life. We love each other. We're living in a different reality now. We're living in a different place. And quite frankly, when we love each other well, and even when we show love to the world, the world is not conditioned to receive it. Most of the world, even when we try to show them our love, they're like, this is weird. You guys are strange. There's got to be an ulterior motive. What's your angle? John is just really honest about this when he says, look, you're supposed to love each other but we know that there are going to be people that still hate you. And that's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, to love when you know that it might not be returned back to you? That's a difficult thing. It's in those times where we have to kind of lean back on what we sang this morning. Lord, your love never gives up, never runs out on me even though their love is, is, is not coming my way at all. Lord, yours is enough. I mean, really, Christians, is God's love enough for us to be able to keep pouring out our love? It should be. That's what we're singing. But I don't think most of us are doing that. I include myself in that. I, this is a sermon that I need to hear, and, and I think most of us need to hear it because we have fallen into this trap of they're not going to love me, they clearly are not acting like they love me, and so now I'm not going to love them. And that's a problem. Because over and over and over, we are taught that because God took initiative with us, because God came down to offer us salvation, and because God has forgiven us of so much, we then must be people who love and forgive the way he forgave us. Why? Because verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life. We love each other. Anybody who doesn't love remains in death, and that's on them. Anyone who hates his sister or brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. But this, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now here John gets particular. He doesn't doesn't say at this moment that we're supposed to lay down our lives for the whole world. That's That's a big challenge. John here is just getting specific enough, says lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. And I frankly don't think that most of us even are willing to do that. John gets even more particular. He gives a specific example. Verse 17 of 1 John 3. If anyone has material possessions, we'll share them. That's part of what love is. Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We are called to love. We are called to sacrifice for each other. We are called to lay ourselves down, and I think all of us want that. Don't you, those of you who are kind of thinking about things, those of you who are sorting out what it means to be part of a church, part of a friend group, part of a fellowship group, don't you want to be part of a group where people look out for each other? where people are not just about themselves and getting theirs, but where they're looking out for you and you can look out for them. Don't you want that? I do. Don't you want to be part of a group and and aren't you going to run the other way if some church says, we love Jesus, but we hate you? (laughs) But yet, what do your actions show the people around you? I mean, what do your words show the people sitting beside you right now? What does your face, what does your attitude tell the people who see it? oh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is really difficult for us And I know a lot of us are working toward this. We're trying. We're we're hoping and we're thinking that this is kind of what we're doing. A lot of us are inviting God into our lives, asking Him to give us new life, asking for His help, trying to live this out. But church, I think there's still, even in spite of our best efforts, there's still some deadly poison creeping into this fellowship here. And I'm talking specifically about here at Waterway Church, those of us who call this place home and even those of us who are sitting in the room right now. Most of us, if we are honest, are struggling to completely forgive all the people who have wronged us. All of us have forgiven some people for some things. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that just about all of us are struggling to completely forgive everyone. Last week I preached about Jesus' command. It's recorded in the book of Matthew. Jesus' commands that we must forgive. Jesus said that if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, and we like that. That sounds good. Good deal. God, I'll forgive them if you forgive me. But it says in verse 15, as we quoted from Jesus' words last week, it says that if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you, and that I don't care for quite frankly. I want to be forgiven all the time, regardless of how I relate to you. But there really aren't any qualifications on that. I, I was blessed. I got to have a lot of deep conversations this week. We had a small group meeting on Thursday night where we got to really stir this up and think about it. Had a couple one-on-one conversations with you. Um, some of you have already heard parts of sermon, this sermon this week. Some of you helped me to write this sermon this week. But let me give you a little story. Last week I sent you home to, to study Matthew chapter 18. And here's part of what that passage says. If you went home and studied it, you'll track along with me. If you forgot to do your homework well, I'll catch you up. Maybe I'll forgive you for that. Matthew 18, verse 21. This is not on your screen. I would invite you just, just listen to this. Peter, he was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And and church, by the way, Peter was asking that question because Jesus had just taught some really difficult stuff about forgiveness. And so Peter, one of Jesus' followers, comes up and says, okay, how many times? Like, I hear you saying that I need to forgive Jesus, but how often? Like, really? Because what's the implication here? My brother sins against me a lot. Any of you have a brother like that? I don't. But maybe you do. And maybe your brother has sinned against you and you forgave him. And what Peter's indicating here is he says, well, I've got a brother that sinned against me again and again and again. How many times do I have to forgive him? I mean, in that question, what do you hear? You hear Peter saying, when is enough enough? Okay. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. And there are some translations of Scripture that look at that and they think it says, well, it doesn't say 77, it says 70 times seven. And then there are interpreters who would say seven is a number of completion. Seven is a number, anciently speaking, seven is a number that is of fulfillment. And so what Jesus is really saying is not literally 77 times or 490 times, but he's saying forever. Forever all the times, completeness, all of it. Jesus answered, I tell you, don't just forgive them seven times. Peter thought he was being generous. I'll forgive my brother seven times. Jesus says, nope, not seven times, but 77. And then Jesus tells this story. Here it is. Listen to this. Matthew 18, 23. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Your version may say talents, but there's an unpayable debt here. In today's parlance, this is billions of dollars. So, as the king began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, all into slavery. At this, the servant who owed money fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. Billions. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then Jesus continues on with the story. He says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him 100 silver coins. A couple dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Same words that he used with the master to whom he owed billions. Verse 30 of Matthew 18, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went to their master and told him everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus tells this story about this unmerciful servant. And we get it, right? If, If he was forgiven for billions, he ought to be able to forgive the other. For 50 bucks. But Jesus tells the story. says, look, this is how serious this is. Jesus says, God will deal with you roughly if you're not willing to forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We are commanded, church. We are commanded, not suggested, not, not enticed. We are commanded to love. We're commanded to forgive because these things are choices that we can make. Jesus doesn't command us to do things that we can't do. But some of us, sometimes unknowingly, are taking ourselves right out of the knees because instead of forgiving, we're holding on to all the poisonous stuff that has happened to us. We're holding on to all the words and the slights and the attitudes and the attacks. We're holding on to those wounds. And instead of letting them heal, we just keep picking and picking and picking. We get offended and we stay offended and it kills us even though Jesus says your love must be sincere. Even though Jesus says you've got to be humble and think of others more highly than yourselves. Even though the scripture is very clear that we need to honor others above ourselves. So many times we put ourselves in the judge's seat and say no, I'll decide who's getting justice here. And we get offended and we stay offended we withhold forgiveness thinking that we're going, to, we're going to put them right in their place, but really it kills us. You've heard the saying before that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking that it's going to kill the other person. See, what happens when we become offended, when we decide, or, or through our weakness when it just happens, that we get bothered by something around us, and then when we take it up and hold on to it as an offense... We build walls around ourselves for protection. See, when we forgive, we let go of that and we say, okay, it wasn't right, and it wasn't all right, but I'm letting it go, and I'm, I'm leaving you to God because God's love never fails, it never runs out. God never gives up on me. I trust myself to God, I trust you to God, and, and I'm going to forgive you. That's what forgiveness is. I'm not going to be offended anymore. I may still hurt. I may still struggle to know what it's like to be around you, but I'm not going to hold it against you. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Holding it against you. No, I'm laying this down. But offended people tend to hold it against them, and we build walls around ourselves. When we've been hurt, our focus often becomes self-protection and self-preservation because I don't want to be hurt again. This is what we do to ourselves. But what does Jesus tell us? Love demands that that we offer ourselves to each other. We lay ourselves down. This is difficult. I'm not telling you this because this is easy or simple. I'm telling you this because Jesus instructed us to live this way, and I think it could be so much better for us in the kingdom if we'll do it. But love demands that we offer ourselves. Don't hide behind a wall. Offer yourself to others. That's how you have mutual help, mutual aid, and love see one of the challenges it, it feels sometimes like the game is rigged but the only way to really live in love is to be vulnerable to allow yourself to be vulnerable to being hurt to be close enough to a person to love them means you're also close enough that they can hurt you and that's a dance that we walk through a lot and some of us have been hurt some of you have been hurt i know i know hang in with me this can be scary scary but this, again, is where we rely on our faith in God. We remind ourselves that God is good enough to take care of us, even if others have hurt us in the past. To the people who we are called to love, we, we must come to a place where we trust God and not our own defenses to protect us. Now, now... Forgiveness does not mean that we ignore the offense or that we forget that it happened. Oh, no, it wasn't a big deal. No, forgiveness means we acknowledge it. You hurt me. That was wrong. That was bad. Forgiveness means that we acknowledge, I've been hurt. But then we decide not to keep hating the person who hurt us because that just drives it deeper, right? You know this. See, church. No matter what happens to us, the teaching of Jesus reminds us that we always have a choice in how we're going to respond. I mean, initially we may have a reaction. <laughs> there, was, there was a moment this morning, even in my house, where I walked around the corner. I didn't expect a person to be there, and there was Melanie. And I, I actually, oh! I did one. It was weird. I was just kind of in my own mind. That's how I often am on Sunday mornings. I was kind of thinking about, and all of a sudden, Poof! I, I didn't try to react that way. It was just. Poof! Everything I did after that was my decision. What am I going to say? How am I going to act? How am I going to stand now? How am I going to walk? Am I going to pay attention to what I'm doing? Church, we all have those immediate reactions. Jesus understands that, right? He flinched when he was hit too. He knows about being attacked. But church, we always have the choice to forgive or not. Always, you hold the power to forgive someone or not. Now, that person, their relationship with God, that's going to be on them. But, but as far as what happens between us, you always have the choice to forgive me or not. And what does Jesus say very clearly in Scripture? Does he say, it's okay if you don't? Is that what he said? No, Jesus said, you have the choice to forgive and you must forgive. Take it. Now, when we've really been hurt, and some of us have really been hurt. When we've really been hurt, we will need God's help to forgive others, and that's okay, right? That's why, that's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be our advocate. We don't do this all on our own, but we can certainly, as Christians saved and redeemed by the Lord, given a new heart and a, and a new mind, we can certainly decide that we're going to try this. We're going to walk this out as best as, it, as best as I can, as much as it applies to me, and as much as it relies on me, because I know that it's not just me. The Holy Spirit is in me helping me to move forward. Sometimes we need God's help to forgive others. That's okay. The key is for us to admit that we've been hurt and ask God to help us, but some of us are too proud to even admit it. No, I'm fine. No, I'm good. I don't need any help. Well, then you're not going to get any help. You wonder why you're miserable. Come on. Ask God to give you a heart to forgive. Ask him to heal you from the ways that you've been wounded and see what happens. G.K. Chesterton, Christian writer from about 100 years ago, he said the Christian ideal has not been tried and found lacking. He said the Christian ideal has been found difficult and not tried. And some of us in this room are in this category right now, we say how could I ever forgive him? How could I ever forgive her? I could never do that and we don't even try. Some of you work harder at shaping your bodies than you do at maintaining your relationships. Is this what we're called to? We wonder why things don't feel good when we're around our other brothers and sisters at church. Church, forgiveness takes practice. You may have to forgive many times. I've been through that. I've had a couple of times where different people have hurt me, and, and most of these were with things that they said things that they said with force. Sometimes things that they said over and over again. And you know, I remember those words sometimes. Have you ever walked into a place and you remember something that happened at that place before that was not good? You had forgiven it. You had forgotten it. You thought you had healed from it. And then you walked in and it it all comes back. Hey, that happens sometimes. That's part, frankly, that's part of the oddity of still just being a human in these bodies with these emotions and these chemicals and all this stuff going on inside of us, right? We have those reactions, and we have those feelings, but what are we called to do? We're called to forgive, and so here's what I've done. This, I've, I've had to do this, and there is still a place when I mow my front yard beside the tree that's not there anymore, but there was a big maple tree there when this happened to me. I, I must have been, one of, the, one of the first days after I had been kinda hurt by this person, I must have been thinking about it when I was mowing the grass, and I'll tell you, most every time I mow the grass at that same spot, even though it's years later and that tree's not there anymore, I've got a different mower. Sometimes I even sit on my mower now. I kid you not, almost every time I mow that spot of the front yard, I still think of that person and what they said to me. And I will tell you, I have forgiven that person. I forgave them then. I prayed, I said, God, I forgive them. I can't tell them that because they're not here, they don't know what they did, and they don't think that they're wrong. But God, in my prayers, I, and, and with my friends at other times, and in a small group of close, trusted people at other times, I said, I forgive that person. I still struggle to love them, but I'm going to try. I don't trust them, but I forgive them. And every time I mow that piece of grass, it still comes back, and what do I do? Every time as I'm finishing up that round and turning around in the driveway to come back again, God, I forgive them. Not, not because I've not because I've felt like I've done something wrong again or that they did something wrong again, but I need to remind myself, and I need to cement it with God. No, God, I forgive them. I declare it. And my feelings are, are better than they were. It doesn't hit me with heavy emotions. It doesn't make me cry like it used to. I just keep walking, and I finish mowing that grass. Because sometimes you just have to decide, I am not going to hold on to this. I'm not going to chew on this all day. I'm not going to let this make me bitter all day because of what that person said all those years ago when this maple tree was still standing. Really? I'm going to let them have that control over me? God, I forgive it. And you know, God's love never fails. It never runs out. And God is restoring me. And so now, it's a five second thought process and I pray and I pray for that person because I'll tell you, they still need it. (laughs) I pray for that person and I go on about my day and I'm fine until I come and talk to you and give you an illustration again. Do you have any of those things, any of those places, any of those people, any of those memories that keep coming back? Do you have to forgive again? You might. What are the words of Jesus? So do it. Forgive. Lay yourself down. You're not so high and mighty that nobody should have. No. Come on. Be humble. And if you're struggling to forgive, like most of us do, ask God to help. That's what God does. Forgiveness is not easy. Somebody that hasn't exercised. You want to go out and try to bench press 300 pounds this afternoon? I've got 300 pounds in a bench. I'd like to see you try. But there are a couple of you in this room who can because you have worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. You started out not even being able to do a push-up, and you were a little guy or a little girl, and you didn't have anything, and then you worked at it, and then, and then you could bench 100 pounds, and then you could do 150, and now you are just a ripped beast. Why? Not because you decided this morning, you know what, I'm going to be a ripped beast. <laughs> but because you worked at it, and you did everything you could at the beginning, and God was faithful to you, gave you a body that could grow and strengthen and heal. And you kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And now you are really living it. Forgiveness is that same way. I mean, all of these practices that Jesus calls us to, he doesn't expect us to be like the monster the first time that we do it. But we can be masters of this if we will keep practicing it. What are you doing, though? I mean, be honest with your life. Are you practicing forgiveness? Every day, with every person in every situation. Some of you have been, and you've been doing it for 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, and you are beautiful. But there are some of you in you who aren't even trying because I tried that once and it didn't work. Well, yeah, you get 300 pounds off the rack, you're going to break your chest. Sometimes forgiveness is a practice. This is something we need to grow at. It didn't work. Okay, forgive them again but I can't tell them that. No, but God can hear you. Jesus says, forgive them from your heart. Sometimes it's hard for others to see our heart, but we can give that to God and show that to God. Now, a couple, a couple little side things, because these were questions that I got from you. Great questions, really good questions. Forgiving someone is not the same as now trusting them. Okay? That, that person who I think about when I mow the grass, I don't trust them any more than I did then. I'm not aware that they've changed. But, but, you can forgive someone and still not trust them. Forgiveness is something that we decide to offer no matter whether the person has repented or said they're sorry or not, even if they're not alive anymore. Forgiveness is something that we offer. But trust has to be earned. Trust has to be earned over time, right? And if you ever have to learn to love and trust your spouse again, you forgave them and you're still there, but I don't quite trust you yet. Yeah. Forgiveness is a moment. Trust is a process. So forgiveness is not the same as trust. For trust to be built, you've got to forgive. And for trust to be built, they have to respond. But sometimes they don't or they can't or they won't. But your job is not to... Your job is not to say, well, I trust everyone. Jesus said you're to forgive everyone. Does that make sense on the trusting piece? Sometimes you may have to say, I forgive you, but we're not going to be in this relationship the same way that we were before. I forgive you, son, but you're not taking the car out again this Saturday night. I forgive you, daughter, but you're not going to have internet and social media access for a month. Because I don't trust you. That makes sense, right? Forgiveness is not the same as trust. But we are commanded to forgive. Now also, tied into that and closely related, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is sometimes a one-way action. But reconciliation requires two-way interaction. Now, as Jesus talks about forgiving our brothers and sisters, and as John wrote about forgiving our brothers and sisters, hopefully within the church we ought to all be open to reconciliation. I hurt you. You forgave me. And now we're both willing to work at it together to build trust again and to be reconciled. We have to be doing that within the church. But you know that there are people outside of this place. There are even some people who just don't understand Christianity to the kind of depth that we're talking about. And they have hurt you. And you've said, okay, that's enough. And and you have wanted to work at reconciliation, but they said, no, I'm out. No, I don't want to be reconciled to you. No, I'm going to keep hurting you. See... Again, reconciliation is not something that we can control 100%. That takes two people. and In fact, it takes the help of God to make that even possible in the first place. But forgiveness is absolutely in our control. We can decide, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to lay this down. I'm not going to hold on to this offense. See, reconciliation indicates that someone has earned your trust back. Reconciliation requires that they want to be reconciled to you. But forgiveness can happen regardless of how the other person acts. And like Peter, we might say, well, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? What did Jesus say? No, not seven times. More. A lot. 77, 490 to absolute completion. The point is, anytime it's enough, then you're going to lose track and you're going to have to just keep forgiving. This is what Jesus calls for. Jesus, the one who hung on the cross, and even as he was dying for being perfect, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does that mean that every single person on earth forever is completely reconciled back to Jesus? No, it doesn't, because some people don't want it. You know these people. A couple of you are in the room this way right now. You're like, "Ah, Jesus, that's cool, but I don't want it. I don't care. I don't need it. Well, what does Jesus do? He just still says, Father, forgive them. That's his intention. That's his hope. But there has to be something from both sides. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. It's not the same as reconciliation. So how do you know? How do you know if you've forgiven someone? Final point here. You know you've forgiven someone when you're not still holding them on the hook for what they've done. And you know you've forgiven someone when you pray for them. Bless those who persecute you. You remember those words of Jesus? Jesus. I'm sorry, those, those were the words that were written down in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Jesus didn't, didn't always have to say that, he lived that out. Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse. Curse does not mean saying a bad word, curse means damning someone, telling someone to go to where it is you think they should go to. You know you've forgiven someone when you let them off the hook when you pray for them. Jesus in Matthew five forty four was very clear. He said, I tell you, love your enemies. Even my enemies? Yeah. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, Underline it in your Bible and write it on your heart. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And we not have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Church, will you pray with me? Can we pray together? God, we need your help. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Lord, you are perfect and you don't deserve any of the stuff that we throw at you, but Lord, you forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we know that you were perfect. You died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, we didn't deserve it, and yet you forgive us. Thank you. Father and Son, thank you for forgiving us. Holy Spirit, you come and fill us up and you make us capable for things that we can't do on our own. And we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But Spirit, we thank you. Help us now, because there are people treating us in ways that we don't deserve. There are people who are hurting us and ruining us. There are people who are really wrong. But Lord, help us to do our part and forgive them so that, so that hopefully, as we live with hope, hopefully they will be changed. Hopefully they will grow into the kind of people that, that we can be reconciled with. But, but Lord, you simply told us to forgive, so Lord, we're going to do the forgiving. Help us. Help us. Lord, here in our fellowship, help us to forgive each other, even for the little annoyances, the minor slights, the careless words. Lord, help us to forgive our brothers and sisters. Lord, a lot of us are holding on to those things, and we're remembering those things, and, and not just remembering them, but Lord, we're chewing on them. Lord, please forgive us and help us to forgive. Help us, God. We trust that you will because we know that your love never runs out. Your love never fails. Lord, please help us to love sincerely. Amen. Church, will you stand and join us in our closing song today?